Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. We're in our sixth week of a nine-week series about us going through the Bible on a bit of a road trip. Our goal this summer is to gain an understanding of God's story. And today's subject is the law. Now, I know immediately you want to get your guard up because you're thinking about all the rules and regulations and standards that churches are notorious for. But today, it's really about hearing an affirmation from God what's behind the law. Why does God present us with laws in the first place? What does He want to teach us through the law? And by the law, I'm referring to primarily the Ten Commandments, which we'll see in just a few moments. But it also includes all of the decrees mentioned in the first five books of the Bible, which number 613 in total. When any one of those 613 is transgressed, well, then the covenant is broken, and so is the relationship with God. That's why the law occupies such a huge place in the life of Israel. So in order to restore the broken relationship, certain sacrifices were required and then penalties were prescribed. And yet, all those sacrifices were really inadequate. None of them ever did the full amount of of healing and forgiveness and restoration because they had to keep being repeated over and over. Well, we're going to talk more about the laws today and and kind of the the remedy for that situation. So here's the gist of what we've discovered so far. The primary purpose of the Bible is to reveal to us God's love story for us, primarily through the person and work of Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. Now, what if someone said, well, isn't the Bible about giving answers for life? Well, Yes, such as you can look in the Bible for how to live in a right relationship with God and with others. You could turn to the Bible for how to work, how to live under pressure, how to raise up children. But if that's all the Bible is used for, then the Bible is solely about you and me. But it's not. The Bible is for us, but it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. That God is so big, so beyond, and yet He wants to be understood. He wants us to get to know Him. And again, we best get to know God through Jesus, this one who is the exact image and representation. It contains all the fullness of God in His being. Jesus was God on earth. So God gave us the Bible to reveal to us His character, to see what God is like. And so as we read the Bible, even though we can get answers to life, even though we will be encouraged through difficult times, what we primarily get when we read the Bible is God Himself. So today, as we look at the law of God, the law is going to reveal some aspect of the character of God. In other words, there is something behind the rules, the commandments, that shows us what God is all about. 
Now, up to this point, we've talked about a God who created the world that was good because he wanted to have an object for the love that defines him. So God created a world in order to love people, to be in a relationship with them. Now, the world was created good, but as we know, it doesn't stay good long. In short, humans wanted to be like God, and that created a fall. Sin into the world, and disease, and pain, and disorder, and death entered the world. But God made the first move. He reached out first to Adam and Eve, even in the midst of their disobedience. And then as we saw last week in the story of Abram, who's also named Abraham, God was reaching out through Abram to bless the world. It was the promise of nation building. God began with this crazy mess of a world, and He chooses one man through whom He's going to begin piecing the whole back together. Well, as the story continues beyond Abraham, along comes Isaac, and then Jacob, and his entire family. And the book of Genesis ends with a famine having come to the nation of Israel, so severe of a famine that they have to go to Egypt where there are provisions. And Genesis ends with the people of Israel in Egypt holding on to the promise that God will be with them. But when we turn the page from the book of Genesis to the, to the book of Exodus, some 400 years have passed. In those 400 years, the family has grown quite large. Remember, it started with one person, Abram. And now, 400 years later, Exodus tells us that by the time that they are to leave Egypt, there are 600,000 men, not including women and children. The family that God was going to use to be a great nation, to be a blessing to others, is now, however, residing in another nation as slaves. They have no culture to speak of of their own. Look, we just celebrated 243 years as a nation. Add another 200 years and we'd be about as old of a nation as Israel was enslaved. That's a long time to be under someone else's reign. Now, you can surely argue that our culture today is in need a lot of help. But imagine having no culture of our own. The people of Israel are just hanging on to the oral tradition that they've heard about Abraham and life as it once was. But in the Old Testament book of Exodus, God raises up another man named Moses. So Exodus is about God breaking his silence of 400 years to speak to all the people he's in a relationship with. Now, Before we go to our scripture readings, I want to share with you the goal of today. The goal of today is to hear a clear message of God's love. And I bet God's love is not what comes first to mind when you hear the word law mentioned in church. Most people not familiar with good news churches have as their primary conception of God as a stop sign or maybe a series of stop signs that basically say, don't, don't do this. Don't go any further. A misconception is any one of these four 
lines of thinking. Follow the rules you're in, don't follow, you're out. Or this one. Try real hard and don't mess up too bad, then God will want to be connected to you. Do one more good event in your life than bad and the scales will tip in your favor. Or misconception number four, you obey, God loves you, you don't obey, you don't have a chance. Today we want to dispel those lies. Even as we look at the very laws that are used to feed these misconceptions because remember, there's something of the very character of God behind these laws. So to this group, to this family enslaved for 400 years, God says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to renew my covenant with you. So to accomplish this, God raises up a man named Moses to lead them out. And as you can imagine, the Egyptians are not happy about this. They don't like this. Their entire economy is based on the backs of these Hebrews being their slaves. If they leave, there goes all our free labor. Egypt was a strong country, but they relied heavily on the oppression of these Hebrews. But God said, I'm going to deliver you. And as you read Exodus chapter 7 through 11, there are a series of plagues that demonstrate God's power. First, there's the Nile River turned to blood. Then comes frogs, gnats, flies, a cattle plague, boils inflicted upon the humans, hail and thunderstorms, then locusts, then dense darkness. Now comes Exodus chapter 12. God comes to Moses and his brother Aaron to give a command to the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, in the practice of their religion, the Jewish people may have done this dozens of times. I mean, these people are probably thinking, these are for burnt offerings, right? Because burnt offerings date back to the days of Noah right after the flood. In Genesis chapter 8, we're told that Noah built an altar to the Lord and, and taking some of the, all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And a burnt offering was what Abraham offered in place of his son Isaac. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham looked up. If you know the story of how he took Isaac, God had told him to sacrifice Isaac. But as he was testing Abraham's faith, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So it seems that in Exodus, the Lord is instructing His people to do the same, right? Nothing new here until the next line. Now a real foolish-sounding request. It doesn't make much sense what God says next. Exodus chapter 12, verse 7. God is still speaking when He said they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, if I can take a little liberty with this text, if Moses were to interrupt here, he might say, what? What good is that going to do? Do you know how ridiculous that's going to make us look? We're painting our doors with animal blood. And the Lord could respond, trust me here. I've demonstrated a knowledge of your situation, and I'm about to demonstrate power over it. Trust me, just do it. Because I'm going to send a final plague upon Egypt that will attack them to their core, and you will be set free. Of course, what Exodus chapter 12 is detailing is that first Passover celebration that would become a repeated remembrance of how the Hebrew children were spared from the angel of death while all the Egyptians experienced the death of their firstborn son, including Pharaoh's own son. God was working through Moses, but every Israelite was going to experience the power of God firsthand. The Lord said, trust me here, and they did. And through his pain, Pharaoh told the people to leave. And Israel, for the first time in 400 years, walked in freedom. Now we skip to Exodus chapter 20. This is the place where God comes to Moses and in effect says, you're free. The relationship is restored. Now I want to tell you some things you need to take to heart. Exodus chapter 20 begins... And God spoke all these words. This is important because this wasn't Moses just speaking. This is God. And he said, I am the Lord your God. That word your is an important word. Because Moses and the children of Israel have heard about all the gods while they're in Egypt. You know, the God of the sun, the God of the Nile, the God of the crops, and so on and so on. They knew about the gods. But now the one true God says, I'm your God. It's personal. This is relationship language here. I'm your God. I'm deeply committed to you. You see, before God ever gives one of the first of the Ten Commandments, the thing that He says is listen to me, you're mine, I'm yours. It's as if the Lord is saying, before we ever talk about anything else, hear me on this, the first thing you need to know is, I'm committed to you. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, why was that necessary to convey? Even command. I mean, God already demonstrated His deliverance. The people of Israel have already demonstrated their trust in Him. It's because God knows there will constantly be competition for
for who's first place in your life. It was true throughout the history of the Bible. It's been true in the 2,000 years since. He continues, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. The Lord is saying, don't try to contain me. Don't put me in a box. I'm bigger than that. You see, God knew that we would face challenges and we would need Him to be bigger than our minds could contain. The third command is in verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. You may be more familiar with the rendering, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That word vain translates to empty. Don't empty the name of the Lord. Don't take the Lord's name and empty it of significance. He's reminding us, I'm not on your level. The fourth command begins this way. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He says, carve out time to connect with me, build on this relationship, and have your whole being renewed. And then the other six commands. I want you to honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Oh, and when we go through this list of the Ten Commandments to see how we measure up, we tend to stop on that one, do not murder, and we go, hey, check. Because if we couldn't check that one, chances are you wouldn't be in this room. You think, well, at least I'm getting a pass on that one. Until you read how Jesus ratchets it up in Matthew chapter 5 and equates murder with unjustifiable anger against another person. All right, so we move on. Don't commit adultery. Check. Then you read Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Even if you've thought of this in your heart, you've committed adultery. Okay, erase the check. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Because all of this is going to produce all kinds of greed. And it's going to lead you to places you don't want to go. Now let me ask, how do you or how have you viewed these Ten Commandments? Have you viewed them as conditions that you got to uphold in order to garner God's love? Do you view them as in the case of only if I'm perfect in all ten areas can I have an authentic relationship with God? But if you believe you're already His and He's already demonstrated His love for you, isn't that going to change the way you view these laws? So these commands, these laws of God need to be put into the context of a loving relationship. Remember, at the beginning of Exodus 20 that started this chapter, God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God. And what he says after that is basically, so what I'm going to share with you then is not a condition of my love for you. Look, all others in this world are going to fail at loving you completely on the basis of grace. People are going to fail you. 
But your relationship with God is not based on you being good enough. Your relationship with God is not based on whether you do or do not keep a set of rules. The rules come after. They say something about God, that He wants the best for you. And if you don't believe me, that you don't have to be perfect to have God's love showered upon you, then hear one verse from the Apostle Paul. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let me ask you, when did God begin to love you? Not when you got better at being a Christian. Not when you cleaned up your life. Not when you became a member of a church. God is very clear on this. All throughout the Bible, while we were sinners, God loved us. Have you been trying to earn His favor? Maybe today you memorize Romans 5, 8, and you internalize that truth. Trust Jesus who gave his life for your sins. If you've never done this before, maybe you pray this prayer from your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for all my sins. I now turn to you. I want your love poured into my life. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, I turn from all that has been a barrier. Thank you for pursuing me. If you prayed that prayer, then you're a Christian. You don't have to know everything there is to know about God and the Bible and the church because none of us will. Besides, you'll grow to discover more and more. And if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. And He will never leave you. He will never let you go. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.